Good morning, Outlook family. It's good to see everyone this morning, whether you're here in the room or you're with us online, it's simply good to be together. And I'm anxious and ready to jump in to God's Word. And I want to begin by making an observation. If I were to ask you all, who here wants to be a generous person? My guess is nearly every hand would go up. Every head would nod. And even though I'm a little biased about all of you, because I think you're pretty great, my guess is you are already indeed generous people. But if any of us is going to be or to remain a generous person, we have to recognize that doesn't happen by accident, right? And that there are even forces at play inside us and outside us that can tend to dampen that generosity, not stoke it. Generosity, however, is clearly taught in the Scriptures as an expectation of every disciple of Jesus. Radical, joyful, sacrificial generosity. And we here at Outlook take the Scriptures seriously. So we're going to look all month at what it means to be a people who live with open hands and big hearts. We're going to wrap up with gratitude on Thanksgiving weekend, appropriately. And I hope you don't miss any of these messages this month. Because generous people, that's exactly who the world needs us to be. Now today we're going to do a deep dive into a powerful parable of Jesus. But before we do, I want to begin in an unusual place. uh, But one that will give context to what we're about to hear Jesus say. Before we get to Jesus, I want to flip back just a few pages in your Bible into the Hebrew Scriptures and a book by the prophet Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. It's punchy, this passage that I'm going to refer to, and there's really no other quite like it. It's pretty unforgettable. It's in Malachi chapter 3, and through Malachi the prophet, God is speaking to his people, and he asks a question, can you mere mortals rob me, God? And yet you're robbing me, God says to his people. And in this dialogue of Micah's passage, uh, the people come back and ask, how are we robbing you? And God answers in tithes and offerings. Now, what's happening here in this passage is God is calling out the relationship between their devotion to him and their giving of their material wealth and specifically what is called the tithe, a tenth of one's income or increase directed by God from the beginning to be devoted to him and his work and worship. So this is what's happening in this little passage. And then God says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God is making an observation here to his people. You're not honoring me. You're not recognizing me. You're not worshiping me by devoting to me a portion of all I've given you, as he has directed his people to do since, as I said, the very beginning. Now, a lot of times preachers might use this passage. If you've been around church for long, you have bumped into this passage. Preachers can use it to guilt people into bigger offerings. Can we just go ahead and say that right out loud? 
right? I'm just going to say that that maybe is what's going through your mind right now. And in fact, it's the very reason I can be hesitant to even touch on this subject, because I don't enjoy giving anyone the wrong impression, oh, I came to church and they're talking about money. Maybe if it's your first time as well, you might be thinking, oh boy, I picked the wrong Sunday to arrive. But remember what we just spent October discussing and talking about, or if you weren't here, I'll fill you in. Our mission here at Outlook Christian Church is to develop all of us as disciples of Jesus. And I will testify to this. When I personally realized how beneficial steady, devoted percentage giving was to my own spiritual growth, and I started practicing it, I found my discipleship deepening. In fact, I believe it probably for many people, it is a missing piece if you're wondering why your spiritual growth feels stunted. No matter our age, whether you're a student, you're in your 20s and just starting out, or you're retired, or you're in the middle of your income years, no matter what age or stage of life you're in, whether you feel like you make a little or you may realize you make more than a little, it's this idea that I'm going to honor God with the first of what I have been blessed to earn and receive. I'm going to make sure that my giving is steady and joyful and sacrificial and honestly, That is a fun thing to do. I discovered that, and really that's what we're looking at this month, hoping that we all can discover or rediscover that too. Now Jesus talked a lot about a disciple's handling of money because it has a lot to do with who we are and who we are becoming. He knows, just as God said in Malachi 3, Jesus knows our relationship with God should affect our relationship with our stuff. Our finances, our possessions. And this passage is directly tied, this Malachi 3 passage is directly tied to a parable Jesus told. So let's dive into that. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching. And it says in verse 13, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? In other words, why are you coming to me with this? I'm here teaching about the kingdom of God, and I'm here teaching about about some pretty uh, powerful eternal truths, and you're coming to me with a dispute about money? This guy's hands are closed. He's gripping something material and temporal. His heart is closed. He's ignoring something spiritual and eternal. You've got Jesus right in front of you, and your main concern is the dispute you're having with your brother about your inheritance. You're missing the point. Now, this can happen to any of us. Our hands can become closed, our heart can become smaller, especially in times of scarcity or trial. We can end up shrinking when it comes to this subject, but we don't have to. Now, people came to Jesus with all kinds of observations and questions. Jesus, heal my son. Master, when will the kingdom come? Rabbi, from where did you get this authority? All interesting and insightful and powerful requests or questions. This guy says, Jesus, tell my brother to show me the money. He's making the wrong request, right? He's missing the point. And money can do that to us. It distracts us. When I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a a story uh, about my dad. Uh, When my dad retired, he went to work at our local parks department. And uh, so uh, 
setting up for events, mowing grass, trimming trees, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, he and a few of his coworkers, one of their things, of course, would be if there was an event at the town park, you'd set up and you'd tear down from that event. And one of his coworkers just had this almost obsession with finding the loose change that people would drop and leave behind after an event. Okay? So they're, they're tearing down chairs or, or doing whatever needs to be done. And this guy would end up doing less work than everyone else because he was so distracted by just waiting and looking and, and trying to find some money left on the ground. So my dad, let's tell you a little bit about him, really nice guy, but likes to play with people. And so every now and then he would just leave money so that then he could find it because he knew where it was, right? So he'd drop it. Then a minute or two later, he'd find it. So he just keeps finding all this, but drives this other guy nuts. How does this guy keep finding all this money? One time he even crumpled a 20, kind of got it a little dirty, right? Then finds it just to drive this other guy nuts. Yeah, yeah. So that other guy, we don't want to be that guy, right? And we're going to talk today about how a wrong focus on finances can turn us into fools, using Jesus' terminology. It's not about me we're going to learn. And we have to fight this focus just on ourselves. And nothing can get our distraction more on ourselves than finances. So this guy comes to Jesus with his request. Jesus sees something here, and he addresses it with a warning and a story. Verse 15, Then he said to them, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, i got to tell you, that's good right there. That is really good. Life does not consist in an abundance of of possessions. That's a word for maybe some of us even here today. An abundance of possessions is sometimes all we have to show for our lives if we're not careful. Be on guard, he says, and watch out. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Okay, let's pause right here. Now, we get no indication from Jesus that this rich man, as he puts it, was particularly bad or evil. In fact, through the wisdom of his planning, the diligence of his efforts, even the provision of God, he has just been blessed with an abundant harvest. So far, so good, right? Everyone can relate to him. Everyone can say, I want to be like him. Good, good for him. I wish that would happen to me. So Jesus sets it up so we, we immediately want to see ourselves in the story. Yeah, overflowing harvest, that sounds great. It sounds like Malachi 3.10 is all over this guy. God is blessing him in abundant ways. But what we're going to see is Malachi 3.10 is on him in more ways than one. Now, we may want to see ourselves in him, but we also at this point may be asking ourselves, but should we see ourselves in him? Because Jesus just described this guy as a rich man. Sounds like he's only getting richer. He's rich. I'm not rich. That's not me. At least, I don't think so. But let's just pause for a moment and remind ourselves of a few quick things. If you can read the words on this screen, or when they were on there, if you can read the words on the screen, or if you drove a car here today, you're already in the top tiers of global wealth. If, you make, if an individual makes $20,000 a year, they're in the top 9.5% of the world's richest people. 
30,000 will put us in the top 4.7%, 40,000 in the top 2.6, 50,000 in the top 1.5, and you can go on and on from there. So from a global perspective, most of us are wealthy. In fact, so in other words, we can't count ourselves out of this parable. We've been blessed, and we need to think about what we're supposed to do with that blessing, whatever it may look like from one person to another. You may be out of work at the moment, a very real thing. You may not be making anywhere near the income that puts you in the top 3, 2, or 1%. I understand I've been in both those situations at times in my life. This message isn't about making us feel guilty about our wealth at whatever level it may be, but it is about examining its implications and the amazing responsibility we have and the potential it has in this world. See, maybe like the, guy at the, or like the guy at the start, our dude in the parable is asking the wrong question. Our culture wants us to keep asking this question. Why don't I have more? But, is, but there is a deeper, more profound question. Our culture and our very nature, if we're honest with ourselves, would rather we ignore this question. Why, don't, why do I have so much? Why don't I have more? That, com- that question comes easily. Why don't I have so much? Why am I in the top 1, 2, or 10% of the world? Why would that happen to me? Now, if that's an uncomfortable question, think about this. Remember the days when you didn't have enough? Were you hesitant to ask God or to question Him about your lack? We would let him know back then if, or today when we're in that situation. We would let him know that we're in need. And then we would thank him for when he provided it was on our mind and we talked to him about it. If we're on the other side of that equation today with more than we need, why don't we ask God more about that? Maybe you do. I know I don't nearly enough. When we don't have enough, we wonder why. But how often do we wonder why when we have more than enough? Maybe it's so we can do tremendous good in the world. And we're being reminded from Malachi and now uh, 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 referring to that in Luke that our tithe belongs to God and our extra, when we make more now than we used to, that's more powerful than we think. So a better question would be what... God, would you have me do? Why did you give me all this? That's not what our guy in the parable is asking. What shall I do? That's a perfectly good question. But then he begins to just talk about his crops and what he should do with my harvest. See, everyone tells us in this world how to get rich. But maybe we're already there or closer than we thought. How do we learn how to be rich? Now, those are lessons only God can teach. And Jesus is doing that here. Verse 18. Then he said, back to the guy in the parable. This this is what he says. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. There's a lot of my happening here, right? Someone say my, my, my. My, my, my. Maybe sometimes we can be more like the guy in the parable than we first realize or admit. Because think about it. He did not steal. He did not take. But he also neither shared his stuff nor used it for good. He only kept. 
And if we think about the fact that his storehouses, he wants a storehouse, he wants bigger storehouses, he wants them to be overflowing, he wants everything that, that came to him, he's going to keep it. Remember, there is a storehouse, think of Malachi 3, that should always be our first concern. It's not what shows up in this guy's first thoughts. It's all about his barns and his surplus. But there is a storehouse, God said, that should be his first concern. And Jesus' listeners would have been intimately familiar with this idea of what you should do with your increase. And the fact that you have a first obligation to everything God blesses you to, and that is to give a portion of it back to him. They would have known that, and his error in skipping that completely would have stood out easily to them. There is a storehouse that should always be your first concern, the place from which my work and word goes out, God says. So whose barn or storehouse is your first priority? The parable is begging the question. Your thoughts are not first on worshiping me with your increase and funding my work in the world, and this is the man's fatal error. Now, for us today as New Testament Christians, there's some good, simple, common sense guidance on how not to be the rich fool in the parable. Paul, the Apostle Paul, describes the practice of giving that we engage in very matter-of-factly to the Corinthians, first in uh, his first letter to them, chapter 16. He very simply says, on the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned, Period. Just, easy, just straightforward, just that, that steady percentage giving that says, just as if you remember something Jesus taught, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Make God first, on, and on the first day of each week, set aside a portion of what you've been blessed with to give back to God. See, when we're doing it right as New Testament Christians, when it's working the way God intended it to work, then funding our local church will end up fueling the cause of Christ if our priorities are in line. When you give here at Outlook, this is, what, this is just some of what your giving makes possible. Internationally, church planting in Venezuela. In fact, the Lugos have planted 41 churches there so far. Mental health training in Italy, Bible translation in Guinea, a hospital in Haiti, eye exams in Honduras, Bibles for students in Latvia, and we could go on and on, not to mention a really tremendous amount of ministry that flows through here every day of every week. So funding our local church ends up fueling the cause. It is the storehouse of, Math of Malachi Three. Now, in his second letter to these same Christians, Paul writes this, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. We love this. This is a beautiful ethic for us as New Testament Christians. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This is the New Testament version of Malachi 3.10. We're no longer under that law as New Testament Christians, but the law is useful for our instruction. And a tithe is the biblical baseline of our giving, dating back to the most ancient of times. We now, as New Testament Christians, get to prayerfully decide before God what we'll give and then give joyfully. Open hands and big hearts. And then we read here, blessing of all kinds flow from decisions like that. 
Now, we do, we do something here at Outlook. It might be a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but we're also totally serious about it. Whenever I uh, touch on this subject, I usually mention our 90-day money-back guarantee. <laughs> if you don't find that God does more in you and through you with the 90% you have after the 10% you give, then we'll refund your tithe in 90, after 90 days. In other words, that's just a way of really putting our faith out there and saying we really believe God knows what he's talking about and that when we read something in God's word, we can take it to the bank. Yes, literally, right? And that when you begin to instill this practice in your own spiritual life, you will be enriched in ways that you just will realize weren't true before. Ministry in your home church doesn't happen without provision from God, which he has chosen to achieve through each of his disciples, generous, faithful, cheerful, steady giving. Remember, remember, what are we aiming for? What are we aiming for? We're aiming for our own maturity as disciples of Jesus. We're aiming for a little less, bless me, bless me, bless me, and a little bit of less me, right? That it's easy to pray this prayer, God bless me. But let's also make sure that it's followed by, but I want to use that blessing, not for all for myself, not for my bigger barns, not to make everything about me. It's not about me. And in fact, it needs to be less about me, God, and more about you. Our, uh, I was just thinking about this, and I want to I mention it. You know, this is an ethic that we as Christians should really show to the world, and that is that we're people who don't think first about ourselves, right? We think first about others because of our love for God and the love he puts in our hearts. Veterans Day is coming up on this Thursday. Veterans embody that ethic perfectly, the idea that we should sacrifice for the benefit and common good of others. If you see or know a veteran this week, make sure you thank him or her for their service. They embody, and we as Christians are called to embody, the opposite of what this guy's doing. Because what did he decide? He decided to take life easy. And if we really realize what's happening here, he's falling under a spell and, and kind of a sickness in a way. His stuff is derailing his priorities, his ethic his life. He describes what we may think is the picture of contentment. In fact, if we were honest, maybe some of us have this as a life goal, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. That we might be working really hard right now for our retirement. We might hope to enjoy someday, and if we were really to sum up what we hope happens in that retirement, I might be right here for us to live out. Take life easy. But contentment he could not be more wrong. Contentment is found in doing God's will, not in the comfort made possible by an abundance of possessions. He's falling for it. And Jesus is trying to show us how we shouldn't fall for it. Be on guard, he says, against all kinds of greed. And so simply put, we see with the guy in the parable that greed includes not sharing and not giving. It's not just more, more, more for me. It's keeping whatever I have, big or small, only for myself. Like the guy in the parable who got Jesus to tell, like the guy who got Jesus to tell the parable, rather, greed tells us we deserve more, that we're owed, right? Tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And that lurks in all our hearts. This guy in the parable robbed God 
by simply keeping everything for himself. And he ended up robbing others. And in the end, himself as well. Verse 20. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Then Jesus concludes, This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves but are not rich toward God. These themes of where and what we're storing up and what it means to be rich toward God are ones we'll return to in this series. But for today, God essentially says to him at the end of the parable, you kept what you should have given and shared, and you've been pronounced a fool. While his financial accounts, so to speak, were overflowing, the accounts that mattered were bankrupt. He did not think of God. He did not honor God. He did not share With others, he suffered a total loss. His heart was small. His hands were closed, clasped around what he thought was his. He was rich by any earthly measure, and it counted for nothing. He was not rich toward God. And so, friends, as we wrap up here this morning, we can ask the same question that he started by asking, what shall I do? And realizing the answer will not be about us. We can quit selling this life that Jesus gives us, quit selling it short, and move toward dreams that are bigger than just a dream home, adventure that's deeper than what advertising promises, savings that are richer than any fat retirement account, but instead the thrill of investing in God's kingdom, the fun of being generous, being what we all want to be, and any of us can Let's pray about that. Lord, we thank you for this powerful parable that Jesus told and how we, if we pause for a moment, can see ourselves in it and realize that we we simply don't want to reach the end of our life, whether it be today or many years from now, and you find us foolish. You find us with our priorities out of whack and we fell for it. We focused on ourselves. We, we, we got scared or we got tight in some way. We, 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 gripped, we lost our grip on you while we were grip, grasping so tightly on the things of this world. We got racked by anxiety or worry and some form of greed. Holy Spirit, help us to be on guard against all forms of that and instead fall in love with you. Be enraptured by this life that you give us and the joy of being a part of it. God, help us to invest our whole selves, and yes, including our finances, in you, in eternal things. What a joy that is. Jesus, you embodied this very ethic of giving. You gave your life for us, and we thank you for that. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.